0: Creative babble. So these are all these These are all warrants.
1: All these people are are you happy? Yeah, they're them?
0: classified. I just pull one out at that day. Let's just say Ashley Walker. Jack Salterelli is
1: a bounty hunter. It's a misdemeanor. His job is to hunt they down fugitives.
0: They don't go to court. You got to hunt them. This, so this is a warrant that we run with. What's she in for? Well, I don't know. It usually just says failure to appear. So, so you don't we know. Go, you no, just... it could be murder. It could be DUI. We, we find out. We pull them up on the screen at the jail to see what we're dealing with. But uh, you never know. You don't and know what all kind. With? We got guys in there, homicides, rapes, just everything. Um, Petty larceny, fraud. But that could be kind of
1: dangerous, right? Like you're just pulling up a folder and well,
0: you're, you're supposed to find this person? Well, this is all I do. This is all I've been doing for 29 years. And um, some are funny, some are serious, scary. Um, when you're going in a house, whether you got with three or four guys with you, and you're going in dark closets, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to see that flash. You don't know. But you're doing it because you like what you're doing. You love it. Uh, I've been across country chasing child molesters. I'll go after them all day long. Rapists, I'll go after them all day long. But if I have to go out 10 times that week, I love it. It's what I do. I'm cleaning streets. And people don't realize how many, you saw the boxes. They don't realize how many people are running out their fugitives that is just blending in with people, committing crimes to survive because they can't work regular jobs. They're out there, they're all over the place. They're like insects and we go after them. We get them on the run and we shake them loose. Most bounty hunters carry
1: lethal weapons, but not Jack.
0: I, I am well, I'm more protected than the average guy, not only from what I need to do, is a stun but gun? from law, this is this law enforcement. I qualify.
1: But what, what is that like a stun gun or?
0: Yeah, that's that's the X twenty six you see all law enforcement carry. Yeah, that will put your ass down. Um, and but then they're
1: all non lethal,
0: right? No, yeah, right. You're not going to kill. This is a tra- this is legal for me. This is a training weapon. But if I have rubber munitions, gas, So I need. I pop a guy about three hundred twenty foot pounds in the face with that. I don't have to kill him. If I kill him, I'm going to have to explain why I had it. I met up with Jack two at two his bail bonds one bond one office
1: in Gulfport, Mississippi. He asked if I wanted so to grab a I bite to, to eat. Let
0: me run down there real quick. Yeah, let's do it. It's, uh... So that's your ride, the, the white one? Yeah, I'll show you real quick. It's all caged. I'm a professional. I'm not your average bondsman.
1: What, uh,. I mean, you know, you're not a cop. I mean, like, what's the difference for, for
0: people that don't know? We're licensed police? with the state. Let me tell you. Okay, take a Gulfport cop. Yeah. He's a cop in Gulfport. When he goes over to blocks, he's not a cop anymore. We're licensed with the state. We hunt fugitives. We can go anywhere in the continent of the United States. We're not bound by any jurisdiction and bring that person back. So when they issue that warrant, we are being told to bring that person in. So that's how that works. So we have broad powers, but they won't they won't call us law enforcement. But we're bail agents. And information's the name of the game. Last thing you want to do is open up a file, and there's no information. A name, a social, and a date of birth, and that's it. It's not a lot to go on, right? No, no, no.
1: We walk into a small diner in the middle of Gulfport, Mississippi. The waitress knew exactly what he wanted. French toast? With a side of eggs and bacon. All right, guys. Good morning. How are you? Good. Right. Excellent. I get some coffee. All right. After breakfast, we drove back to his office. We even had breakfast today, and the waitress was like, "You want your regular?" I mean, you know, people. This is not a huge town. I mean, people know Jack, right? Like, they how do Mr. Jack? Yeah, yeah. So how do how do people around here in Gulfport, like, how what what do they know about Jack? They know I'm a bounty hunter. I asked Jack what made him want to hunt down fugitives.
0: And I was watching a show, and it showed me this wrestler. I mean, this guy was big. Knocking down a door, he was a bounty hunter. And uh, it made me think, you know what? That's something I could do. I could enjoy that. I mean, I know that element. I know what to look for. And So that's how I got interested. And then it just built from there. Like, how do you know? I mean, you have boxes of warrants in there. Like, how do you know where to start and where to look? Well, if you were to walk into that box, you'd start with the ones that's most pressing. Or you have an actual final judgment. Where do you find them? At work? At home? You find them everywhere. Sometimes they run from the area. Uh, We start with the family. Work the friends. Definitely the cosigner. Nobody gets out around here without a cosigner. Co signer is responsible for the full amount of the bond. Uh, a lot of times, the co signer is close enough to the person. If they vouch for that bond, they usually have a good idea where they're at. So we tell them, you know, uh, we're, we're going to do this with, you know, we're going to hold you in confidence. We're not going to say how we know. And they'll usually call up later and go, look, I'll tell you, it's at such and such a place where he's working at the Walmart or whatever. We search houses. They don't like it. But the, the idea is, is that we're going to be back. This is the address one I want. We're coming back. So get used to it. They don't like it.
1: What do you do when, when you get there? Because I'm like in my head, I'm thinking like you show up and they just start scattering. Is it, is it like do they make a big scene or
0: do they cooperate? Well, we always go with at least four guys. So we always send one or two to the back. So when the first team goes in the front, the others will come around when they know nobody's going out that back door or secured it. A lot of time, and a lot of the times we have to do this, we have to do a search. Uh, We just did one uh, yesterday, and it was a female, and uh, she'd been in all kinds of trouble. She got warrants from other areas too. We were serving a Jackson County warrant. Uh, She failed to appear. And uh, from the moment we were at the front door, two stepdaughters were saying, she's not here. But we knew better. Tell them, step aside, we're coming in anyway, we're going to search. So the next room I went in, there's two adults. They try to tell me the same thing. All I do is tell them, I say, well, if she's here. You're going to jail for eating and a bedding. Now, where is she? So they'll point. Then we go to the next room. It's locked. We know she's in there with her boyfriend. Tell me, open the door. We're going to knock it down. So he opens it up. Same thing. Where is she? He pointed at a crevice. She was squeezed in a crevice behind a closet. So, that's what we go through. They're all going to be lying. She's not here, he's not here. I found them on her, <laughs> on her stacks of laundry piles and you know in the weirdest places, you know. And uh, like like hiding under yeah, the laundry. Oh, they'll go anywhere. They'll crawl anywhere they can in in, a, in an instant. Because as soon as somebody knocks they go. They look like cops. They got badges. They know right away. But I didn't
1: fly all the way down to Mississippi to visit just any bail bondsman. That's not what this story is about. Let's just say that being a bounty hunter wasn't exactly Jack's first career choice. The people who know him today have no idea who he really is and what type
0: of life he's lived. But it's hard to explain how I got there. So there's this big hole. There are those that know my story, that don't know it all, that knows there's a history. A lot of them think I'm, uh, I am was mafioso. I mean, they just, a lot of, you know, just so much, so much stuff. And um, some are afraid to ask. You see, Jack, the man who spends his days snatching
1: criminals, hiding from the law, was once one of them. He was a wanted fugitive, not once, but twice. You're going to hear Jack's story, how he got here, and from the FBI agent who tried to track him down. I'm Javier Leva and this is Pretend, stories about why people pretend to be someone else. When you're a fugitive, usually the first thing you do is assume a new identity. And you just can't make one up. Typically, you have to find someone your age who has died young and has no history. There's a market for this. Anyone could go buy their own fake identity, but it's risky. Luckily for Jack, changing his name was the easiest part. You see, his whole life, he thought he was really named Jack Conway. That's his stepfather's last name. Little did he know that on his birth certificate, his
0: real name was Jack Saltarelli. When I started going to school, they raised me as a Conway, which was easy to do in them days. had to prove anything. So I had all this history in John or Jack Conway. And uh, I had no idea. I I'd never saw a, a birth certificate, but I never actually really thought about one. I, I, well, I guess they just did it to make things not complicated. But like I said, I was 34 years old when my mother finally told me. I was in shock.
1: But now Jack Conway is a fugitive. So Jack starts going by his legal name, Jack Saltarelli. It was perfect. No one could track him down. Step number two, he needs a copy of Jack Saltarelli's birth certificate. So here
0: I am at 34 years old, or roughly about that, earn it for the first time. There was no Conway birth certificate. So I sent for my real one with my father's name on it and my mother's name. And sure enough, it came in the mail and I was looking at it for the first time. Got all the other ID. I got the driver's license. The social security was a little little test because I couldn't go down and change it. I didn't want to associate it in the Conway. I had to get a brand new one at my age. I went downtown where they were pretty busy at the social security office. And I had, I, had in pl- my, I had my plan in mind. So I go in, I look around, everybody was taking numbers. Well, I didn't take a number. I just stood to the side and I picked out who I wanted. It was a young black guy, really seemed like a really cool guy. And I kind of called him, I said, man, I need to ask you something. Yeah, what do you need? I said, I had a really bad situation. And I'm, 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 in, I'm in deep, dire straits here. Well, what is it? And I said. Well, look, I just got out of the penitentiary. I did a lot of time. I just got a brand new job. Been there two weeks. I'm being told if I don't get a social security, never had one, no sir. And uh otherwise, he's not going to continue, you know, because he's got a file. And he said, "I'll put well." Let's. And we took the. We he took me to the side. He did a little bit of paperwork. Had to do and to put a rush on it. That's how I got that. There was no question about what do you mean? You're this old you never had one and be questioned about it so that's how that worked so i got that so now it's not related to conway in any way they're two different socials two different lives so now i had the most important parts so i took that and i built a credit uh gym cards you know i start to put a wallet together a healthy enough wallet so if i ever had to use it i never told nobody about it nobody
1: you, that that it's kind of um, not a lot of people have the, the fortune of having a, a legal it. second
0: identity well, I can yeah right, and it worked for me because listen, the only thing I had changed was the last name. John Michael was the same, birth date was the same. You learned the new social last name that's all when Conway to Solarelli. Everything else stayed the same so there's not a bunch of memorizing Well as soon as I, soon as I became this status, I took that wild up and got rid of the other one. So uh, nobody knew the name, nobody knew nothing. So outside of an actual fingerprint, I was good. Nobody knew about that
1: name. Before Jack became a fugitive, he lived in the Philadelphia area. Most of his life he spent behind bars, serving time in several prisons for a series of burglaries and robberies. In Lewisburg Prison, he was locked up behind the same walls as Jimmy Hoffa and John Gotti. It
0: was around this time he got the nickname BoJack. They named me BoJack because of my fighting. Everybody knew BoJack, but they wouldn't have known Jack Conway. BoJack, and that's what it was. Bojack was a fighter. He
1: wouldn't hesitate setting an inmate straight. Inside prison, he didn't care about early release, and the other inmates knew it. That's what made him so scary. For the last 15 years, all he's ever known was prison. There was nothing, and no one waiting for him outside. But after spending most of his childhood and adult life
0: behind bars,
1: Jack Salterelli decided to give the easy life a chance.
0: And I had this guy I met from Tennessee. I called him Tennessee Slim. And all he used to talk to me about was, you need to stop going. Why do you keep doing this? Go out there, man. Give it a shot. See what it is that keeps people out there. You mean out of prison? Yeah. No, you keep going back and back. He
1: was- At this point in the story, Jack was 27 years old when he was released from prison. He was a free man. Jack was going to try and turn it around this time and try to make an honest buck and for about a year, Jack was on the straight and narrow. He got a job as a painter. He would work all day and then go home and lift some weights. You see, Jack is a bit of a health freak. He always ate right, he never did drugs, and even today in his 70s, Jack is ripped. He told me at one point his arms were so big that he would lose blood flow if he held the phone to his ear too long. His hard and callous appearance was a form of self-defense. His build will stop a fight before it even starts. But life outside of prison was good, and he was happy earning an honest buck. But come on, we all know how this story ends. How'd you get involved in drugs? Tommy Monk
0: was a drug dealer. This is how I got into it.
1: Monk asked Jack to paint his apartment. So I did some work for him. Monk was a small little man and looked harmless. He saw Jack as more than just a painter. He liked having him around for protection. And one day, while driving around Philadelphia, Monk made an unplanned stop and bailed out of the car.
0: We're in South Philly. And uh, he had a firebird. I remember he pulled up. and said, hold on a minute. He said, I'll be right back. I see him get out and I'm watching him. So he walks up, he's talking to this guy, and they're going back and forth with their finger in each other's face. And the guy's not intimidated. He's doing it right back to Tommy Monk. So I, I recognize the guy from Holmesburg Prison. I thought, damn, he, there's never no tough guy in there. So I get out to see what's going on. As soon as he saw me, he panicked. See me he got out of Monk's car hey Jack, hey man how's it going and the next thing he's talking about look man i don't want a problem i'll have it for you this weekend and he started talking terms he owed him money so when we get back in the car he says where are you doing from i said no i'm from holmesburg i said he was never a tough guy in there i seen him getting in your face i just was wondering what's going on so he thought about it and he said how would you like to be my bodyguard and from that day forward jack was working for monk but I came on board as a bodyguard. So he would ask me to move his stuff around, go pick this up, go deliver this. And I started doing collections. People didn't want to pay. I've hurt some people. I mean, this guy had some enemies. He was hated. We went in places and clubs in South Philly. where he had had meetings. I didn't think I was coming of it. So by being exposed to him, I was exposed to the drug world. I didn't know what a nickel bag was, what a pound was. I didn't know anything about methamphetamine. And uh, that's how I got into it. And I got in so big that I didn't learn from the bottom. I learned from the top. I seen pounds, and we would bag it, break it down into other bags, and I sold from the top down. So I learned, I learned the value of the money. Meanwhile,
1: Jack started learning the ropes. And after a while, he had Monk's operation under
0: control. And at some point, I learned his whole business to where he could relax living the life. And I was making two, three trips a week with 30, 40 grand for him. He did his own product. He used to shoot it. Meth is nuts. It, it you, you hallucinate. He'd be up for days. He knows I don't do dope. That's that's enough. It, it, it probably worried about it. He tried a couple times. You know what? Do a little bit. I said, no, I'm not interested. I said, besides, you want me fresh to have your back? You want me nodding beside you? But one day, Monk got suspicious of Jack. Well, Somebody got in his head and said, you know, all BoJack has to do is take you out one day and dump you somewhere on I-95. He knows the whole business. They're not going to not give him the product because they're going to want to keep the money coming. He just stepped right on in. I think they got to him. One day, he comes to my house and uh, accuses me of stealing. I knew better than that.
1: They get into an argument. He didn't know if Monk was on a bad trip or what, but Jack turned in his gun and got out of there. A few days later, Jack gets an unexpected visitor at his house. It was a hitman
0: known around town as Killer. This guy Killer shows up, it's in the summer, in a black valiant. He blocks the street, his car's running. He leaves it run at the bottom of my house. He comes up two sets of steps. He's got a long trench coat on in the summer, big ass sunglasses. Well, you know why. So somebody said, what'd he look like? Well, he had big ass sunglasses. I don't know too much about his body. He had this long trench coat.
1: But the hitman Killer, had the wrong door. That was the neighbor Richie's house. Jack was one house down and was watching the whole thing go down. Well,
0: he's got a paper bag over his right hand. He knocks on Richie's door, a friend of mine, first. He had, we were side by side. Richie answers, Jack, you, uh, no, no, Jack's next door. He goes over on my deck. He's beating on my jalousy windows. Richie walks down the steps, turns the car and goes, oh, here he comes now, man. Dude bolts to the car and takes off.
1: Jack never worked for Monk again. Eventually, Monk's drug habit got the best of him and his drug business just fell apart. It's during this time that BoJack earned his fugitive status. But let's not jump the gun. Before BoJack starts running from the law, he first has to build his drug empire.
0: Well, I'm introduced to the drug world and it's a quiet world. I put together a little army of people. I had my own family. I pretty much sewed up Southwest Philly, that was my area. I managed to get a good product, was uncut, and I put it out that way so nobody could compete with me. And it was a quiet way of making big money. I wasn't robbing, I wasn't stealing, and I wasn't climbing the windows. I wasn't hurting anybody as far as like assaulting them. All this time up until then? I was a heavy dealer, I had Southwest Philly up. I had a magnificent product, it kept coming, it never ended. So I, I took that whole city over. I had people come from all over. So yeah, it takes that time to build, put an army together of people and become a family. After two years
1: of running a drug business, it was time to slow down. His wife was pregnant and he wanted to move somewhere warm a quiet place to raise his family. So he packs up and leaves Philly for the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Jack moved down to Mississippi and leased a gas station with a mechanic shop attached to it. He could run the gas station, work on cars, and buy a nice house. I mean,
0: was the plan when you moved down here was to just put your past behind you and just we were going to open that up and we were going to make money. We could have, man, we could have made so much money. Absolutely, it was a great idea. I had had the cash for the gas and the ground. But it didn't take long for him to
1: get back in the drug business. He met a couple guys in Mississippi who were talking about speed.
0: Jack gave them a forty-dollar bag from Philly. So I wasn't right, but this this kid on my street kept talking about. Um, meth and speed and I kept, I kept talking about speed what kind of speed are you talking about well one day i brought him a little piece back and that's how it started i should have never did it he took that little piece made money made good money paid me and wanted more and it led, one thing led to another and he set us up
1: that was a big mistake because these two punks eventually were busted and they ratted on Jack. One day while driving back to Mississippi, Jack gets pulled over. But this wasn't a
0: routine traffic stop. I'm on a highway pulling in to turn around. They were all over my truck. They took me out of my vehicle on the highway. Now I'm under arrest, I'm detained. They take me to my house. We go in my house, I'm already under arrest. I'm in cuffs, guns at my head, at my balls, tell me if I move, they'll blow me away. So they take me into my house, they go in and they find a bag of pieces, maybe like $1,200 worth of pieces. So with them being made up in pieces, they can get me for distribution. They're happy as hell, they got me dirty. Remember, Jack
1: is going by the last name Conway. At this point in the story, he doesn't even know that his real name is Saltarelli. He moves back to Philadelphia while he awaits trial.
0: But things didn't go so well. I had, a fe- I had a felony on me. I had a case I got to go to trial for. And I did everything. I went to trial. I fought it with a jury trial. We, we gave. A, we had a suppression here, and I should have won. Jack was found guilty. So what do you do, man? I mean, you got... You just got to appeal. You appeal it and hope that you're going to win it on the appeal. I was shocked when I got shot down, but I never read the appeal. Well, when did you become a fugitive? Well, I got shot down on that. I appealed a second time, but I had to wait 60 days. Got out on bond. They set a new bond for the second appeal. In in, uh, December of 1980, the lawyer called me. He said, well, you got to come in. I said, what do you mean? He said, "Uh, the appeal didn't go your way. You got to come in for resentencing. I wasn't going back.
1: Jack said that there was no way he was going to go back down to Mississippi. The district attorney had it in for him. He started
0: telling everybody what he was going to do to me. He was going to bury me. I wasn't coming back with that crazy son of a bitch. No way. No way was I coming back to face that guy. Uh, he was blaming me for everything wrong in Mississippi. So I wasn't coming back. So I chose not to come back. And then I became fugitive status from Mississippi. Not federal yet. So now Jack is a fugitive in the state of
1: Mississippi. He's living in Philly doing what he knows best, selling drugs. Instead, this time, he has to lay low. He found a house in the Pennsylvania
0: mountains, and that's where he learned how to cook meth. So when I became a fugitive, they said, well, just stay up here, stay out of the city. That's how that happened. It wasn't, uh, no, it wasn't until the latter 80s. And early eighty one it actually started cooking. Jack turned this mountain retreat into a meth lab. That was pure, pure meth. It was a money mix. Nobody could touch that great battery even our DEA chemist said that shit was right on.
1: So all we know about a meth lab is probably breaking
0: bad, you know, like but what what does a meth ha- lab look like? A lot of different glassware, stainless steel pots or just a lot of glassware, hot plates, chemicals, mixing. Uh, and then you're, you're cooking with isopropyl alcohol. 99% isopropyl alcohol. It's got a flash point of 100 degrees. You're cooking at 168 degrees. You're 68 already at a point. That's why you hear these places blowing up. It turns to a sludge. You gotta filter all that out, back to a clear liquid. Then you pH that, make it safe. Then you cook it off and it becomes a powder. So you know what it is when you see it. So if you went in a room, saw all that, you'd say, whoa, they're not baking cookies. He was working with a newly formed drug family. Leo, Mike Corsetti, John Drum Ronnie Pierce were the heads of the families. Everybody else was workers. And then of course I was a mover. Leo, one of the four
1: bosses, sold Jack his car.
0: He had this beautiful Chrysler he wanted to sell. He was gonna get to sell the car. I said, I'll take it. It was a beautiful car. What Jack
1: didn't know at the time was that Leo was actually working for the FBI. I get a phone call.
0: Mike Corsetti, he gotta come up. Leo's been murdered. I think they killed him. Now who killed him? I think uh, Ronnie Pearson drumming had him murdered. Jack thinks that one of the other bosses, Ronnie
1: Pearson, figured out that Leo was a rat and had him killed. But the problem is, Jack now owns Leo's car, and he figured that the FBI was now looking for him.
0: They were asking about the car. I said, oh shit, they probably think I killed Leo. How'd I end up with his car? Or at least one of the last ones with him.
1: Little did Jack know, the FBI was already on his trail.
2: I'm Judy Tyler, and I was an FBI agent from um, 1979 through 2010 and primarily worked violent drug gang cases in Philadelphia. And one of my first cases involved Jack Conway, who uh, his true name is Jack Salterelli. Well, Jack was never a suspect in Leo's murder. It was shortly after he became a fugitive, um, we received information in the FBI that we had a fugitive living in our uh, area up in Philadelphia from Mississippi.
1: But Agent Judy Tyler and Clyde Whitson and the FBI were looking for the wrong Jack. They were looking for Jack Conway, not Jack Saltarelli.
2: That's what I knew him as. So I never knew about the other name. It's really an incredible story, I think, that he was able to live as his true self As a fugitive with no record when his, you know, he had grown up with the name Jack Conway and had a tremendous criminal record under that name. And that was the only name I knew about until uh, much later. We discovered that um, he was a cook for a meth organization that actually had its own lab and was producing uh, prodigious amounts of methamphetamine. A lot of of money was being generated by the amount of meth they were putting out. I think for every gallon of uh, the P2P they cooked, they got a yield of 10 to 12 pounds of meth, and they were cooking pretty frequently. And uh, so our goal was to find where the lab was located and to take down really the whole um, distribution organization as well as shut the lab down.
1: Next time on Pretend, the FBI is looking for Jack and things are
2: about to get a little crazy. And then we had a SWAT team that had to come over the back of the mountain to uh, surround the house uh, for the takedown.
0: It was only seconds later I FBI. But what do you do now,
1: man? I mean, because like, where's Mike? Where's all these guys? I mean, are, do they know you're involved?
0: Or? I got them wanting to kill me. I know there's going to be another time I'm going to have to kill them. It's I'm a, it's kill or be killed. It's not going to stop. Wasn't
1: Jack a character? Part two is available right now for my Patreon supporters. Just go to pretendradio.org and click the donate button. You know, a lot of people ask me, Javier, where do you find these people? And the answer is, all sorts of places. But not this story. I learned about this story from my podcast mastermind partner and friend, Jerry Williams. Jerry is a retired FBI agent who has a podcast called Retired FBI Case File Review. You might remember Jerry from the episode with a telemarketing con artist named Carl. If you haven't checked out Jerry's show, do yourself a favor and subscribe. Jerry is on every week featuring real former FBI agents describing their cases. She is the real deal. Also, you should check out her new book, it's coming out in June, and it's called FBI Myths and Misconceptions, a manual for armchair detectives. Jerry debunks cliches and misconceptions about the FBI in books, TVs, and movies. I am so lucky to have Jerry as a friend. Jerry, thank you so much for recommending this story. You can listen to Jerry's episode with Jack Salterelli and former agent Judy Tyler on her show. I'll link it in the show notes. And thank you to all of you for helping me fund this episode. If it weren't for my Patreon supporters, I couldn't have been able to fly down all the way to Gulfport, Mississippi, rent a car, stay in a hotel. Seriously, this story was great because, well, because I was able to meet Jack in person. If you want to hear more stories like these, please consider donating just a dollar to the show. It really goes a long way. Well, that's it for today. I'll be back in two weeks with part two of the Bounty Hunter. Remember, if you can't wait and you wanna listen to it right now, become a Patreon supporter. The link is in the show notes. Talk to you soon.
0: The work of a spy can change the course of history, but the text of a spy's life is written in the shadows.
1: We shine a light to illuminate their
2: story, their human stories, the people behind the legends.
0: So sit back, relax, and listen as we tell a tale of history, mystery, and intrigue.
2: Spy Stories Podcast. Because every life
1: is a story, but some are bestsellers.
0: You're listening to the Beyond the Obituary Podcast. Everyone has a story to tell about their loved ones who have passed on. And everyone who has been touched by grief has had their own personal grief journey.
2: For many parents... The lost children are still a very important part of their family that's still very much alive in their heart. And for me and others I've met, it brings joy to talk about Macy.
0: When someone dies, they leave the emotions and memories from their loved ones.
2: I just want him to,
0: to know that we're, we're not as good as we would have been had he been here, but I think he'd be proud. He was an amazing, amazing person. And I want them to remember that. And I wish they had more memories of him. Subscribe now to the Beyond the Obituary podcast. We hear all about those memories to further memorialize someone much more so than any one-page obituary
2: ever could.